Good morning, Victory Point. My name's Matt. I'm on the team here. Before we go any farther, we should uh, answer that question. So uh, who is the shortest person in the Bible? Jesus? Baby Jesus. I didn't think about that. Might be a good answer. Who else? Zeke. Who? Nehemiah. 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 I think Todd's got it. I think it was Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Let's go with Nehemiah. But we're going to talk about the most famous short man in the Bible, Zacchaeus, this morning. Man, this is fun. What a great morning. Like the choir was so much fun. And Christina, where'd you go? Where's Christina? Thank you. In the book of Revelation, it says they overcame the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the testimony of the saints. The enemy was overcome this morning because of your testimony. Thank you for sharing. Uh, you guys look wide awake. Looks like you took advantage of that extra hour of sleep. I love the, the fall daylight savings because um, I feel like I could preach an extra hour. So uh, I'm really excited about that. I put a lot of thought into this this morning. Uh, we are in a series called Devoted. Devoted. And it comes from one verse in Acts 2.42 where it describes the early church. And it says they devoted themselves. They oriented their lives around four things. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of the bread, and prayer. They, they oriented around those four things and in doing so changed the world. And we want to be a church that orients around, centers around those four things. So we spent a season just kind of immersing ourselves into the apostles' teaching, the Bible, the Word of God, something we do every Sunday. And uh, in order to kind of lean into that, we have a, a Victory Point Bible reading plan that I invite you to participate in if you're not uh, involved in already. What's been really cool is a lot of our messages come out of what we read during the week. So you're reading dur during the week, and then you come here on Sunday, and we get to unpack that, and that's been really cool. A couple weeks ago, we've shifted our attention now. We want to like, be a church that really devotes itself to prayer, to prayer. Doesn't mean every message in this series is completely around prayer. For instance, this morning, this really isn't a message around prayer, but we want to raise the prayer temperature. We really want to lean into prayer as a church. So I want to draw your attention to this opportunity and invitation. Uh, you received a handout this morning as you walked in. It says 24-hour prayer event. Uh, we did this last fall around this time of year, and it was really powerful, and we're doing it again. Uh, it's going to take place on Saturday, November 23, beginning at 10 a.m., all the way through 24 hours till 10 a.m. Sunday morning, right, leading up to our gathering on the 24th. And uh, we, our, our vision, call us ideal, our vision for this is we would love to get everybody involved, Somehow, in some way. So what we're doing this year, a little different from last year, is still, like we did last year, we're going to have the church building open for 24 hours. We're going to have like some prayer rooms and stations set up, and we invite you to sign up for an hour block to come as an individual, as a family, maybe as a group or a missional community or with your friends. Um, by all means, like we would love to have you here in, during those 24 hours if you can for an hour. But we also want to give you the opportunity to pray from home. Not everyone can get here. It's not convenient. So uh, you can also sign up for an hour block, and then you can uh, say that you're going to pray from home instead of here. So there's a, there's a website you can go to victorypoint.org 24-hour-prayer it's on this take it home with you and uh, 
talk about it and, and consider signing up. We would love to get everyone praying. Can you imagine like if everyone in this room, what, 200 some people, were all praying together around similar things for 24 hours? We're going to provide like things to pray for. Um, matter of fact, you can go to that website, share prayer requests, and we'll collect those and those will be available here or online the day of prayer. Um, there's going to be some prayer prompts and helps and scriptures like, like Christina talked about, praying the scriptures, standing on the authority and the promises of the scriptures. We're going to give you tools to do that. Um, we're really excited about it, so that's one way we want to be devoted to prayer. Um, like I said, th- this morning's message really isn't a prayer message, but I do want to draw our attention to one of the verses we read this week, one of the passages, I would say, that was part of our Bible reading plan this week. It was earlier um, this week. You guys remember, did you read, remember reading Isaiah? Isaiah chapter 1. I just want to uh, draw our attention to this and kind of use this as a call to prayer and to the Word this morning. This is what um, the Lord says to the people of Israel through the prophet Isaiah. This is, God's not pulling any punches here, okay? let's, Let's hear this. Let's receive this. God says this, stop bringing me meaningless offerings. Your incense, it's detestable to me. Your new moon, Sabbaths, convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being, God says. They have become a burden to me, and I'm weary of bearing them. Then he says this, and this is where prayer comes in. He says, when you spread out your hands in prayer, you know what? I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourself clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. I just think that's a strong word from the Lord that we should heed and pay attention to. Not just this morning, but every day of our lives. God does not want people going through the motions. That does not please him when we just go through the motions and, and, and just like have worthless offerings and like just like are putting on a show. What really matters to God is how we care about people. What really matters to God is, is, is justice. What really matters to God is taking up the cause of the fatherless, pleading the case of the widow. We need to be careful. You know, when we pray to God, that, that we're, our hearts are oriented around the things of God, and we're not just going through the motions. So let me pray. So before we dive into the message this morning, let me pray. Lord, we, we don't like these words in Isaiah. These are strong words from a God who's passionate about people being about the things that he's about and not having a lot of patience for people who aren't. Lord, we want to be people who are after your own heart. We want to be the people who, who see the injustice around us and step into it and do something about it. We want to be the kind of people that, that um, see the fatherless and the, and the widows and we, we invite them into our homes and, and we, we, we go visit. We want to be the people who don't just drop something in an offering bag. But we want to be a people, Lord, who understand that everything we have is a gift from you. It's your grace. It's yours. And we want to steward it in a way that pleases you. We, because we want you to hear our prayers. We, we, we want you to, to lean in and hear our prayers, Lord. So we, we just take a moment this morning and we, we get our hearts right. 
And we, we, we center our hearts around you and the things of you right now. And we pray that as we open up the apostles' teaching, as we open up the word of God, um, we pray that, that the Holy Spirit um, would counsel us and, and bring to life the things that uh, you have for us this morning. So we take it seriously. And we don't take it lightly. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, turn to Luke chapter 19. If you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 19. This is such a familiar story. Talking about that wee little man named Zacchaeus. Such a familiar story. The the risk with familiar stories is we think we understand it. We think we know what it's about. And our, our desire this morning is to receive afresh from the Lord through the Holy Spirit what he has for us. Now, I find it interesting when I open up my Bible to Luke 19, and I think that's the advantage of, of reading the Bible, like actually from a Bible instead of digitally. I mean, I, nothing wrong with a device and stuff, but you know, a device is used for multiple tasks. There's always that temptation, like I'm using my device to read the scriptures, but oh, I'll go check my email, I'll go this. Like this, I have no option except to read the scriptures. And what I love about like having the, the, the Bible is I can see a story kind of in context, you know, with the chapter before and the chapter after. And I find it um, kind of interesting and, and maybe purposeful where Luke places this story, this story of Zacchaeus. He, he places it right at the beginning, you know, in our Bibles, it's right at the beginning of Luke chapter 19. But on my Bible, I can look across to this page and I see another story that Luke gives us Kind of right after, you know, Brendan last week, he shared a message about the Pharisee and the tax collector. If you just keep reading a little farther, there's this story about the rich young ruler or the rich young man. It's called the rich in the kingdom of God. And maybe you know this story, how a certain young ruler, maybe he's young, I'm not sure he's young. A certain ruler came to God and said, came to Jesus actually and said, what do I got to do? What do I got to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus goes on, you know, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. Honor your mom and your dad. And he says, I- I've done all this. All these commands I've kept since I was a boy. When Jesus heard this, he said, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. See, that's God's heart. And you will have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. And you remember how that went? This young, rich ruler heard these words from Jesus and it says he did what? He said he became very sad. Became very sad because he was very wealthy and he walked away. And Jesus has these strong words. He says, like, man, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. You know what? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And his disciples are listening. And they say, then, then, then who can be saved? Like, that's really hard. Who can be saved? And, and God says this. You know, with, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. All things are possible. So keep that story in mind as we get to today's story in Luke 19. Uh, We're going to read verses 1 through 10, the word of God, a story of another rich guy, another wealthy man, says this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree. For the Lord he wanted to see. You know that song, right? You know the song? 
Okay. See, Tori, don't dare me to do stuff because I'll do it. Okay. Uh, so he climbed a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see because he wanted to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down and at once, he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and they began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times that amount. Jesus said to him, Today. Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abram. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So in the, in the course of two chapters, Luke 18 and Luke 19, you have two guys, the rich young ruler and Zacchaeus, both wealthy. Both receive an invitation from Jesus. Both, I imagine, are convicted by the invitation they receive from Jesus. Yet one walks away, says, sad, and the other jumps out of a tree and immediately expresses the evidence of a transformed life and gives half, away, gives half of his money away and more. One responded to Jesus, took Jesus up on his invitation. The other walked away. May we be Zacchaeus this morning and not the other guy. May we be Zacchaeus this morning because I'm believing. I'm believing that Jesus wants to speak to you and to me this morning, that he has an invitation for you this morning, that the Holy Spirit wants to encourage and convict you and me this morning. That's what the Holy Spirit does whenever we open up the word of God. The question is, will you respond? Will you respond to what he's saying to you this morning, or will you just hear it and walk away? Maybe even sad because you know you should do something, but you know you're not going to do it. See, I, I don't think the enemy, you know, Satan, I don't think the enemy minds you and I hearing the word of God. I don't think Satan minds you and I being convicted by the word of God. He just doesn't want us to do something about it. He just doesn't want us to act on the word of God. I think that's why James 1 says this, right? Do not merely listen to the word. And so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Do what it says. That's our goal this morning. What the enemy hates is action, life change, you know, transformation. When we do something, this is, that's called repentance. Repentance is when we consciously decide to turn from one way of thinking or acting and turn towards a better way of thinking and acting. That's repentance. That's what John the Baptist preached. He preached repentance. That's what Jesus' first words were when he, did, when he started this public ministry. You know, the time has come. The kingdom of God is here. What? Repent and believe the good news. It's what Peter preached at Pentecost. Repent. Repent. So let's not walk away this morning. Sad, having heard something, even been convicted by something, but not doing anything about it. Let's walk away changed. So let's unpack, how, how, was, how did Zacchaeus respond and repent to Jesus' invitation? 
Let's just kind of walk through the story. Don't want to go there yet. Okay, here's what we're going to do. First in the story, Luke tells us this. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and Zacchaeus had money. Zacchaeus was wealthy, which means in that culture, among his fellow Jews, it means Zacchaeus was completely and absolutely hated by his community. He was despised by his community. Typically, to become a tax collector, you had to bribe another tax collector. So part of the job description of being a tax collector is you sort of had to be corrupt a little bit. You had to be willing to be corrupt. And a tax collector, here's what most tax collectors, probably all tax collectors did, is they would collect what people owed the Roman government, and then they would collect a little extra. They might say like, hey, you know, um, your tax is 150, even though it was maybe only 100, they're getting an extra 50. Like, and, and what a t- tax collector would do is they'd collect what was owed the government and they'd give that to the government and then they kept whatever they collected above and beyond that. In addition, you know, Zacchaeus was a Jew. He was a son of Abraham. He was a Jew and he was working for the enemy. He was working for the Roman government. So in addition to being corrupt, he's a traitor to his people. Plus, it says he's the chief. He's the chief tax collector. He's the boss. He's the boss of all the other tax collectors, which means he probably got a cut of all the cuts the other tax collectors were receiving. He had this great pyramid scheme going on. And uh, he was the chief tax collector, the the chief of all the tax collectors. Um, He would have been totally despised and rejected by his own people. I mean, yet don't, don't we see that in the scriptures? Like whenever the Pharisees or anybody else are describing sinners, tax collectors always have their own category. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. It's like they, they can't even be put in a category of just ordinary sinners. They have their own special sin category. He probably was not allowed to worship. He, he probably couldn't gather with his, his you know, people you know, to gather or to, to, to worship when they gathered. So on the one hand, Zacchaeus, he had money. He probably certainly had a nice house on a hill with a nice view. He probably had a nice car or, or donkey. You know, he, he probably had a nice boat in, in a big screen TV. But here's the deal. Ask anyone who has a lot of money, and compared to the world, that's everybody in this room, You know, ask anyone who has a lot of money, having a lot of money does not make up for a lack of friendship. Having a lot of money does not make up for a lack of human interaction and intimacy and relationships. And though we don't see it, you know, in this text in particular, I think it's a fair assumption, wouldn't you agree, that Zacchaeus was, he he probably felt the rejection. He probably felt the rejection of, of his fellow Jews, he probably felt left out, probably felt lonely, empty maybe, lost. He knew everyone despised him and probably hated him. From the outside, he had it all. But on the inside, he kind of had nothing. Does anyone here know what that feels like? To look really good from the outside, but to not be really good on the inside. Is anyone here feeling that right now, maybe? 
You know, the people around you look at you and, and maybe, they, maybe you're married and they look at you and like, man, like they have an awesome marriage. They have a really, really good marriage. Yet no one really knows on the inside, behind closed doors. Like it, it feels like we're putting on a show because there's really no, no intimacy in this relationship. Or, or people look at your, your social media profile. And from everything they see on your social media file, profile, like, man, you have the most awesome life. You do so many cool things. Look at, you have so many friends. I looked at my Facebook profile yesterday, just as I was thinking about this, like, I have 970 friends on Facebook. I don't even know that many people. <laughs> I try to never accept a request unless I really know the people, but I've obviously forgotten how I know some of these people. Like, I'm not that... I'm not that big of a deal. I shouldn't have 970 friends on Facebook. Don't, so don't look at my profile and think I got it going on. I don't. I, I don't have it all going on. You have so many followers, you know. But we work so hard to project this, this false reality, you know, of ourselves. But if people really knew our, our real self, they, they'd know that um, we're struggling, feel very disconnected. I have all these friends and I'm very lonely. Can you identify with that? Or, or, or maybe, you know, people, you look at people and you think, man, I wish I had a relationship with God like they do. They're so spiritual. They, they, they quote the Bible, you know, like Brendan's quoting Habakkuk. No one quotes Habakkuk except real spiritual people. You know, like, like, like and, and they, we put on, they, we have this, this picture, like, oh, you must have a great relationship with God. But really, if you're honest, you're questioning things. And you're struggling with things. And, and you have doubts. I mean, I think this is Zacchaeus a little bit. Maybe a lot. I think this is Zacchaeus. He looked very successful on the outside, but was maybe a mess on the inside. And you know why I think that's true? I, I, because he went looking for Jesus. He obviously felt like something was missing. Something was broken. You know, there's got to be more to life than just having a lot of money. And so it says that he went looking for Jesus. And that brings us to verse 3 and 4. Zacchaeus went looking for Jesus. Now, what his tagline, what he's known for is, Zacchaeus was vertically challenged. Okay, I want to be politically correct. I don't want to call anybody short, even though I was really short in high school. Like, but Zacchaeus was vertically challenged. And, and I just want to be nice to him. I don't ever want to call any man a wee little man. That's not nice, okay? So let's not sing that song anymore, okay? Now, you might be wondering, how short was he? Let me tell you. Every time he sneezed, his head would hit the ground. <laughs> it's a short joke, okay? It's a short joke. Okay, I'm done. I, I found a bunch of them online, but I thought, I can't just spend the whole time, you know, that's not nice. I don't want to belittle him, Okay? <laughs> Okay, I'm done. I'm really done. I'm really done. I'm really done. Okay. Now, Luke, we blow by this part in the story, but but check this out. Did you notice what Zacchaeus did because of his vertical challengeness? He says he ran and he climbed. He ran and he climbed a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. First, we know this from other stories in the Bible. No self-respecting Jew would ever run, like, especially male. Like, 
especially a patriarch type person, they would never run. I mean, when we read the story of the prodigal son and how his father runs to him, that's a big deal. They, they don't do that. And they wouldn't climb trees either. That's undignified. Though it would have been undignified, Zacchaeus runs and he climbs a tree because he had to see for himself who Jesus was. I wonder, perhaps, maybe he's heard the story of Zacchaeus and another tax collector named Matthew. Maybe he's heard the story of how Jesus encountered another tax collector named Matthew and accepted him and and actually invited him to, to follow him and to be one of his disciples. I think this is a significant part in this story. Zacchaeus went looking for Jesus. He went looking for Jesus. He put effort into it. He ran and he climbed. And I remember listening to a message once by Craig Groeschel of Life Church. And he reminded me of this principle, you know, like the, the, of putting effort into finding Jesus. You know, you think of the woman. There's a story in the Gospels of a woman who, had, who was bleeding for 12 years. I mean, and, and what did she do? She kind of pushed and positioned herself through a big crowd in order to get close so she could touch Jesus, touch his robes. Or there's that, I love this story. There's a story of the four friends who had a, a, another friend who, who was paralyzed, who was a paralytic, and he's on a mat. And, and so they pick him up and they, they climb a ladder and get up on a roof and they dig a hole through a roof and they lower their friend to Jesus' feet. They, they, they put effort into it. And then I think the, the point is, sometimes you need to reach, you need to dig, you need to run, you need to climb to find Jesus, to, to, to intersect your life with Jesus. And here's the promise scripture makes. When you seek him, you will find him. It says that in Deuteronomy. It says that in Jeremiah. You can read it in the New Testament. When you seek him, you will find him. Jesus says, ask. And the door will be, or ask. And, and you will get an answer. Like, seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. Now, keep knocking, keep seeking, keep asking. But when you seek the Lord with all your heart, you will find him. I think that begs a question in our lives. If we're feeling distant, lost, empty, are we pursuing Jesus? Are we actively putting effort into relationship with Jesus? Verses 5 and 6 says that Jesus looked up. Jesus looked up. I mean, obviously a guy in a tree is probably noticeable. But as Jesus was walking by, he looked up. And the first words out of Jesus' mouth was what? Zacchaeus. Jesus is walking by. He looks up in a tree. He sees someone and he calls him by name. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, he calls him by name. The good shepherd knows his sheep. He knows them by name, and they know his voice. Zacchaeus. It's probably been a long time since someone said Zacchaeus' name in an invitational way. I mean, most of the people that probably used Jesus or Zacchaeus' name probably used it in some ways we, we can't even repeat in a setting like this. It's probably been a long time since someone called Zacchaeus' name with love and with warmth and with affection and with excitement and with joy and with invitation. 
Zacchaeus' name actually means the righteous one. He wasn't righteous, but God, Jesus, decides to call him, you know, righteous. Can you imagine what that felt like to Zacchaeus? And then the most shocking thing. Not only does he look up and say, hey, Zacchaeus. It's like, come on down. I got to go to your house. I, I got to go to your house. I must, I must, I must stay at your house today. I mean, don't you love Jesus in these kind of stories? I love Jesus in these kind of, I, I love Jesus. Like, he ignores the crowd and he goes after the most wild guy, the most unrighteous guy and the, the biggest sinner in the community. But isn't that who he said he came for at the end of this? So that's who I came for. I came for the lost. The last, the least, the lonely. That's who I'm here for. So the people, they, they mutter. Okay, they're, they're muttering. And, and I, I love this. Like they, they like, doesn't he know he's going to be the guest of a sinner? And I'm like, isn't anywhere Jesus is? Aren't you the guest of a sinner? Like when Jesus is here, when he's in my life, isn't, isn't he with a sinner? Like, we got to be careful, and I, I love Brendan's message last week. We got to be careful not to compare ourselves to other people. And then we think, oh, they're the sinner, and I'm the, I'm the righteous one. Jesus should be the only one we ever compare ourselves to. He is our standard alone. So the people are, are muttering, um, but Zacchaeus doesn't waste any time analyzing this invitation he doesn't waste any time second guessing this invitation he doesn't you know waste any time even having a conversation with Jesus like hey don't you know who I am don't you know my reputation don't you know what I do and what I've done Zacchaeus does none of that there's no exchange instead he climbs down the scriptures say at once he climbs down at once and he welcomes Jesus gladly Gladly. There's a, a, a really smart theologian preacher guy from the 1800s called Dwight Moody. Maybe you've heard of Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. And I came across this this week. Um, he suggests that Zacchaeus' conversion took place in the time it took to descend the tree. In the time it took to get off the limb and get your feet on the ground, Zacchaeus was converted. Zacchaeus experienced conversion and transformation. Isn't that good news for us? I mean, isn't that really, really, really good news that in the matter of seconds, you can be forgiven? You can be uh, spiritually transformed and receive a new identity? Not because of anything you do or did, but, but just because you take Jesus up on his invitation? That's the power of God's grace. And you see the immediate evidence of that transformed life. Because Zacchaeus begins talking like a crazy man. I mean, they're at his house. They're having this joyful party, I imagine. And Zacchaeus stands up and he starts talking like a crazy man. And his first words are, look, Lord. Hey, Lord, look, look. I want you to see this. I mean, isn't that like what little kids do? Brendan was reminding me of that this week because he's got little kids still. Like, they just want like, look, look, look. Look, they want you to see. Like, like, look, Lord, look. Right now, I give half of my money to the poor. Because he maybe knows that verse in Isaiah. Like, man, God cares about the oppressed. God cares about justice. He cares about poor people. 
I'm going to give half my money to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody, I find it funny, like, if I've cheated anybody, you have, you have. But if I've cheated anybody, I'm going to give them back four times. Now remember, just a few minutes ago, this was a guy who worshipped money. In the distance it took to jump off a limb and put your feet on the ground, Zacchaeus has become a very generous man. Why? And I think this is an important part to get in this story. Why? Why did Zacchaeus do this? He didn't do this to get the approval of Jesus. He did this because he just got the approval of Jesus. That's why he responds this way. We do not do good things to gain God's approval. We do good things because he has given us his approval in the person of Jesus Christ. That's why we respond in extravagant ways. While we don't deserve it, while Zacchaeus didn't deserve it, God gives him extravagant love. And the only reasonable response to extravagant love is extravagant sacrifice is extravagant generosity, extravagant response. You've given me all your life, Jesus, so I I just give you back what's already yours. I give you my life back. It's all yours. Everything I have is yours. Everything I have, I choose to use it for what pleases you, not what pleases me. I mean, if Zacchaeus was following the law, you know, he's like, oh, here, Lord, I'll give 10%. You know, that's probably what we should do, right? As Christians, I'll give 10%. Or maybe if I'm really generous, I'll give 20%. Zacchaeus is like, I'll give you half. Half of what I have, Lord. I, I give away. I, I give away to the poor. You can't outgive God. The law, you know, the, the law technically would say to Zacchaeus, like, man, if you've cheated people, you got to give back what you cheated, what you stole, plus some interest. He's like, I mean, I'm going to give back 400%. When you give back, I mean, this is a changed person. This is a changed life. This is a changed heart. And he's now living in response to God's extravagant love. Jesus wants to come in to your house. And by house, I mean this. What if, what if your house is like a metaphor for your life? Can you hear Jesus' words this morning? Like, you know, hey, I want to go to your house. I must go to your house. I want to be in your house. I want to be in your life. And I think the story of Zacchaeus is when you take Jesus up on that invitation to, to come into your house, to come into your life, when you welcome him gladly like Zacchaeus did, be ready for some weird stuff to happen. <laughs> be ready for some like extravagant things to start happening in your life. You might find yourself starting to forgive people that you had no desire to forgive before. You might find yourself starting to notice and care for the outcast and and people in your life that you didn't even notice before. Extravagant love demands extravagant response. I just want to give you a few things to think about. And as I give these to you, I'm going to invite the team to come forward. But, but, but I, think there's, I think there's just a couple areas to, to, that at least I find myself responding to. Like, what does it look like to respond like Zacchaeus? And what does it look like to be like Jesus? When I read this familiar story, what does it look like to respond like Jesus? What does it look like 
to, to respond like Zacchaeus and to be like Jesus. First of all, let me speak to anybody here who may be still up in a tree. Maybe you, you've never thought of inviting Jesus into your house, into your life. Can you maybe hear him this morning, like these words of invitation, like, I want to. Can you hear Jesus this morning saying, I want to come into your house. I want to be in your life. Will you welcome me gladly? And you know what? If you've never done that, all it takes this morning is just a posture in your heart of surrender, of saying, Lord, take my life. I receive your life. I open up the door to my heart. Come into my house. Come into my life. Don't just be a guest. You can have it. It's all yours. That's all you need to do this morning. If, you, if you're still up in that tree, would you consider this morning bounding down to the ground in letting Jesus into your life and letting Jesus into your house? Today would be a great day for that. I can think of no better time than right now for you to do that. Or, or maybe at some point in your life, you have. You, maybe it was a long time ago. You, you've opened up that door to your heart, to your house, to your life, and you've invited Jesus in. Well, here's a challenging question for you and for me this morning then. Like, what would it look like for, for you to say, like, look, Lord. If you invited the Lord to look, to look at your life, to look at, like, how you are living your life, to look at how you are stewarding your life and your possessions and your resources, um, would you be confident in doing that this morning? Saying, Lord, I've invited you into my house. I've invited you into my life. Look, look how, look how I'm changed. Look how I'm transformed. Look how I'm do, living differently. Um, what's the Lord speaking to you? What's the Holy Spirit speaking to you on that this morning? And then thirdly and finally, what, that's what it looks like to respond like Zacchaeus. What's it look like to be like Jesus? It was so simple, you guys. Jesus was walking along and he looked and he noticed and he engaged someone, which led to a total life transformation. It was the Lord's kindness that led to Zacchaeus' repentance. What would it look like for you to be like Jesus tomorrow at school, in your neighborhood, at your workplace, wherever you find yourselves? Be on the lookout for the people in the trees. Be on the lookout for the Zacchaeuses, those people in your life who maybe look good on the outside, but you have a hunch are really broken on the inside. What would it look like to be Jesus to them by noticing them, by calling them by name, engaging them, and inviting them into your life, and maybe even like Jesus, inviting yourself into their life? That's what it looks like to be like Jesus, and you have no idea what kind of effect that might have. Just look at Zacchaeus. Why don't you stand? Let me pray. Lord, thank you again, like every week, for the power of the scriptures. Thank you for the power of the word of God. Thank you that we can read a story that, that we saw on a flannel graph years ago probably and have sung about and it still speaks to us today. I pray, Lord, that whatever you're speaking to each one of us, whether that's in a response like Zacchaeus or to be like Jesus, I pray we receive it and we act on it. 
We don't want to be that rich ruler who received an invitation from Jesus and then walked away sad. Whatever it is that's stern in us right now, may we act on it right now. May we do something about it. May we share it with someone. May we invite someone into it to this journey, but may we walk out of here like Zacchaeus, changed, transformed forever. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Take our lives. Amen. Let's sing.